you're feeling that the copyright-expired song is a little bit more occult this week than in previous weeks, that is because the song this week is Pack Up Your Sins and Go to the Devil, as performed by Emil Coleman, as written by Irving Berlin. And it's high time that we did an Irving Berlin song here on the podcast, because I'll tell you, he is all over the early 20s pop music charts. And Irving Berlin, he's one of these guys, he's a bit before my time. I know his name, I don't know a ton about him. I went to his Wikipedia page, nobody had anything bad to say about this guy. (laughs) There is not a single black mark on his record. Reading this Wikipedia page, it's like, I remember I saw the A&D biography of Ron Howard back in the day, and you think, oh, child actor in the 50s, this is going to be juicy. Nothing bad in Ron Howard's biography. It's just he was on Andy Griffith, and people liked him, and it was successful. Then he was on Happy Days, and people liked him, and he was successful. Then he was a director, and people liked him, and he was... It's like boring. What a boring piece of crap. Where's the drug use, Ron Howard? Where's the starlet mysteriously found dead on your property? You're boring my balls off with your milk toast, scandal-free biography. Erling Berlin's story is much the same. He was born in, in 1888, came here from Russia at the age of five, probably with his parents, though you don't know back then. People just got on steamships back then. Bye, Mom. Going to America. Perhaps with his parents, perhaps not. The point is, when he got here, he basically wrote a billion hit songs, and everyone loved him, and then he passed away at 101. And that's his story. There is no section on his Wikipedia page labeled Bordello Incident, or a section labeled Support for Pol Pot. Nope. Came here, was an uber patriot, wrote God Bless America, wrote patriotic Broadway musicals during the war, refused to use tax shelters because he loved America so much. That's notable. Good for him. Supported rights for Jews. He was Jewish himself. Supported civil rights. Got investigated by J. Edgar Hoover because of his support for civil rights, but hey, if you weren't getting investigated by J. Edgar Hoover back then, then you were doing something wrong. So, well done, Irving Berlin. Uh, Though, if somebody out there does happen to have any dirt on him, please pipe up in the comments section. I would love to to take down this beloved American icon posthumously for clicks. I mean, why not? Hello! Hello! I'm Jeff Maurer. This is the I Might Be Wrong podcast. This is the audio version of stuff that can be found at imightberwrong.substack.com, where you can find many more articles other than the one I'm reading today. It's presently completely free. You can choose to pay me. You can choose to share the articles with your friends, which is also a form of payment. Or you can leave a review. Uh, If it's positive, obviously, I'm not encouraging you to leave a review that says, this guy sucks. I'm sure I will get plenty of those with time. Reviews on Apple Podcasts or whatever you're using to listen to this. Those are valuable. They help bump me up in the algorithm. And media these days is 100% about pleasing the algorithm. We are all at the mercy of the algorithm. The episode this week is called The Asshole Right is Running the Dipshit Left's Playbook in Florida. I wanted to write this one because the quote-unquote don't say gay bill in Florida is the hot topic right now. I understand that parents are concerned about radical left-wing nuttery making its way into schools. 
I don't think that happens all that often, but I do think that's a valid concern, and I've got a pretty solid record denouncing ideological left-wing nuttery. Nonetheless, I think the Florida bill is a very bad bill, and I think the bill itself and the tactics being used in support of the bill really remind me a lot of the crap that I've been seeing from the far left, the kind of crap that I've been complaining about. There seems to be a parallel there, so I thought I would talk about it. So the title is The Asshole Right is Running the Dipshit Left's Playbook in Florida, subheading Everyone and Everything Sucks. Maybe the most accurate subheading I've ever had on the podcast. So Fox News spent all of last week lighting their Remax agent in the 90s hair on fire over Disney's opposition to this new Florida law. Opponents call the law the don't say gay bill. Backers call it the if you're against it, you're a pedo measure. Disney, which is, of course, as integral to Florida culture as college football or getting hurt while doing a YouTube stunt, has spoken out against the bill. That prompted a response from Fox News. Laura Ingram was all over this. There was a bit from Fox and Friends that I'm going to play here that really kind of boils down their message. And I'm going to skip to the money quote in the clip because I, I can't play too much of Fox and Friends. You lose two IQ points for every minute of this shit that you listen to. So here's Brian Kilmeade on Fox and Friends. By the way, this is not a gray area. This is a smart bill that came out of the Republican-dominated Congress uh, um, uh, legislature. legislature in Florida that is signed by the governor that makes total sense. It's parental rights bill. The no gay bill is a mislabeling of a bill. The word gay doesn't even turn up in the bill at all. This is another major win for the people of Florida, those who represent them, and especially for Governor DeSantis, who certainly has the courage to do the right thing, to give parents the rights to know. If you're talking about sex and sexuality to kindergartners, first graders, second graders, and third graders, think about that. Who has got the other side of that issue? Please define it well and say you need your kindergartner talking about sex. So despite Kilmeade's rock-solid argument that the bill is, his words, smart because it comes from the Florida State Legislature's Republican Caucus. Oh, that fabled haunt of philosopher kings. The Florida State Legislature Republican Caucus. I do think this is an extremely bad law. Its backers are trying to invoke the specter of a hyper-woke kindergarten teacher illuminating the dark corners of alternative lifestyles. Personally, I picture an apple-cheeked Teach for America volunteer pointing to a poster in front of her kindergarten class that says, Bukaki etiquette and a gender-fluid octocule. That's what they want me to picture. In reality, of course, the law would prohibit all sorts of reasonable classroom interactions, or at least it might. Are you not sure if what you're saying in the classroom is okay? Well, you can embroil yourself in a years-long, soul-crushing lawsuit to find out. And Kilmeade actually distilled the bill's warped thinking with this statement. I'll play it again. If you're talking about sex and sexuality to kindergartners, first graders, second graders, and third graders, think about that. Who has got the other side of that issue? Please define it well and say you need your kindergartner talking about sex. Okay, this is pretty simple. Sex and sexuality are two different things. Sex is absolutely out of bounds in early education. Sexuality taken in this context to mean sexual orientation or gender identity, that is just a thing that exists in the world. 
forbidding any mention of it in the classroom. That would be like excluding talk of birds. They do exist. Now, the policy wonks at Fox and Friends and, of course, Rupert Murdoch's obvious choice for president 2024, Ron DeSantis, are conflating two things, sex and sexuality, that happen to have the same root word. It's like someone saying, I can't believe you gave my kid either crystal meth or crystal Pepsi. Well, which was it? Those are two very different things. One is a toxic controlled substance and the other is crystal meth. Bam! Classic joke structure there. Crystal Pepsi back for 2022, by the way. And by mentioning that, I'd goddamn better well get a case of Crystal Pepsi sent to my house. Which I will then throw away, because it's gross. Anyway, there's something very familiar about the tactics that the right is using to sell this bill, and also the similar bill that's now in the works in Ohio. The combination of ill-defined rules and draconian punishments for those who violate those rules... That reminds me of very similar fear-inducing strategies that are used by some on the left and that, again, I have spent a lot of digital ink complaining about. (laughs) And the Twitter left may or may not have pioneered this particular suite of below-the-belt tactics. I am not aware of any copyright claims in this area, but the left or certain parts of the left have definitely used them. And now... The revanchist right seems to be running the same play. So here is how that play works. Step one, create extremely vague rules. Secrets are fun, right? Sure, we all have a secret, except when the secret is a never-spoken set of rules that you will be burned at the stake for violating. I was once in a relationship where my partner expected me to guess her needs like I was Karnak the Magnificent, and let me tell you, Those were not good times. Yes, that was a Johnny Carson reference right there, coming right on the heels of my... And the other is Crystal Meth joke. It is all about classic comedy bits on the podcast today. But they create secret rules, and it is next-level annoying when Twitter's self-appointed woke vanguard castigates people for violating rules that nobody knew existed. Nobody told comedians... (laughs) Working in the 2000s or early 2010s that jokes about blackface were unacceptable, even when the point of the joke is that blackface is bad. And I will stand behind that. I think blackface is bad. Really taking a lot of stands on the podcast today. But that was not a certainly a rule I ever heard in the 2000s or 2010s. And for the record, I never wrote a blackface sketch or, God forbid, appeared in blackface or anything. I'm not, like, defending myself here. I'm just citing that as an obvious example of an ex post facto rule. Now, if people want to make that rule part of Hammurabi's Code of Wokeness today, then, all right, fair enough, but please do us a favor and carve it in a pillar of basalt or something. The Florida bill includes a lot of vague and difficult-to-parse rules. It basically turns classrooms into a Salvador Dali-esque surrealscape where the rules are unknowable. If you are a teacher in Florida and a student asks, can boys marry boys? Then my professional legal advice is to dive headfirst out a window. Instead of having administrators handle possible inappropriate behavior, which is what we do today and which is what has been done for a long time, instead of having administrators deal with it on a case-by-case basis. The fat cats in Tallahassee, what happened to local control? Fat cats in Tallahassee are trying to micromanage 
classrooms using extremely vague terms like appropriate and instruction. What counts as instruction? Where does that begin and end? It is similar to how some people want Twitter and Facebook to get rid of quote-unquote hate speech and quote-unquote misinformation, which, okay, nifty, but what do those words mean? The vagueness of the rule gives it extraordinary reach. So step one, vague rules. Step two, pair the vague rules with draconian punishments for anyone who runs afoul of the rules. Some people on the left have developed a bad habit of waving away severe social and career penalties for minor infractions of perceived norms. Think, for example, of that composer in Tennessee who got blackballed. He can't work anymore because of an innocuous Instagram post. Ah, they see that as no big deal. That utility worker in California who was fired for allegedly making a white power gesture, even though he himself is not white, so I don't quite know how that works, but he got fired and people go, eh, he'll get some other job, as if it's no big deal. There is a subset of Twitter that views the fact that J.K. Rowling and Al Franken are not pelted with rotten garbage everywhere they go as hard proof that punishments haven't gotten out of hand. This group, by the way, is currently furious that Louis C.K. won a Grammy last week, which I mentioned mostly so I can point out that that event led to this clumsily worded headline in The Hollywood Reporter. I will read it word for word. It says, Louis C.K. wins Grammy for first special sense sexual misconduct allegations. I wonder who will win the Grammy for first special sense sexual misconduct allegations next year. I'm excited to find out. Just don't be Andrew Cuomo, please. This Florida law is to be enforced via lawsuits brought by private citizens. Much like with the Texas abortion law, Republican legislators have decided that the best way to enforce statutes is by turning every citizen, especially the flaming fucking lunatics, into subpoena-wielding vigilantes. This tactic capitalizes on the fact that our legal system is a hell-spawned nightmare that any sane person would do anything to avoid. The bill's sponsor dismissed the idea that a teacher could be convicted for mentioning the existence of a same-sex partner, but the mere threat of a lawsuit will be enough to cause a lot of teachers to keep stum. Involvement in our legal system is honestly like strip poker with your grandma. No matter who wins, nobody actually wins. Step 3. Use viral content, especially things taken out of context, to energize your supporters. So, Elizabeth Warren believes that, quote-unquote, price gouging by companies is a major driver of inflation. For what it's worth, I disagree, because I do not think that corporate greed popped into existence suddenly in 2022. But some of the evidence that Elizabeth Warren gives in support of her argument is selectively parsed statements from corporate earning calls. Now, respectfully, if you take everything you hear on a corporate earnings call as gospel truth, then you know what? You are exactly the type of sucker investor that companies are looking for. You are probably the sort of person who, had you been on a Theranos call back in the day and heard Elizabeth Holmes say something like, the science is performed by sciencing the blood until the science comes out, which is a pretty accurate paraphrase of how she was describing her technology, you probably would have heard that and thought, wow, how quickly can I give that person all my money? Because you, my friend, are naive. 
And a similar thing has happened here. Conservative ire against Disney was turbocharged by a video from an internal Disney meeting that was leaked to conservative activist Christopher Rufo. Now, right away, that is a great starting point for virality. It's a video. Don't have to read. People hate to read. It's a video. It is secret. A secret video that was leaked to an activist. So it's a scoop. Look, people go for the it was leaked gambit every single time. If you were to say, we've obtained secret video from the Democratic National Convention, and it was just Chuck Schumer in his hotel room laying on his bed watching Property Brothers, that would probably go viral just because it was secret. And the alleged villain, their characterization, not mine, in this leaked Disney video is director LaToya Ravenue, who works for Disney. She works on several shows, including The Proud Family. That's a kid's show. I don't watch it. I really only use my Disney Plus to watch old Simpsons episodes, but... Conservative knickers are in a Gordian twist over a part of the leaked video where Ravenow describes her, quote, not-so-secret gay agenda, unquote, and talks about adding queerness to her shows. Now, if you had set out to make a video that would explode on conservative Twitter, it's hard to imagine doing much better than Ravenow did. And, of course, I have written before, especially in an article called the you-can-only-write-characters-who-are-exactly-you idea is not workable. I've written before about how the entertainment industry, where I worked for six years and maybe arguably kind of still do work, it's a weird bubble. It's a weird place. If somebody asks you, what are you doing to promote LGBTQ plus content, the answer that they're looking for is the maximum amount possible. And that is the context that Ravenue thought she was in, but honestly, I don't think she's guilty of much more than perhaps unartful wording. She's obviously being tongue-in-cheek when she describes her gay agenda, and I think the real test of whether Ravenue is indoctrinating kids would be to see what is being aired on The Proud Family. Is there an episode of The Proud Family where the dad waxes poetic about his desire for a vulva? Or maybe one where the mom throws out her back Scissoring a non-binary agiosexual at a swingers party. I don't know. I don't watch the show. Maybe there is. If there is, then I think that people have a case. But if not, then one casual statement by one person in a company with hundreds of thousands of employees, that is hardly a smoking gun. But it did go viral because it was secret. Now, step four. And this is the one that a lot of people have found shocking in the past week or so. Step four lob extremely serious charges at anyone who disagrees with you. If you disagree with the far-left activist left these days, you are going to get called a bigot. It is a fait accompli at this point. It is going to happen. Don't kid yourself and imagine that it won't. The far-left throws around charges of bigotry these days like a vendor slinging peanuts at a ball game. It is an effective tactic because being called a racist or a sexist or a homophobe, that is a very serious charge. Most people are going to bend over backwards to avoid the charge, even if it's total bullshit. And in the circles I run in, pedophilia is also a very serious charge. And that might be why some conservatives 
are firing that charge at their opponents. DeSantis's press secretary, Christina Pushaw, recently accused the Florida Bill's opponents of either being pedophiles or pedophile-friendly, which I guess would make them pedophile files. She even, I don't know, unintentionally or maybe intentionally, and she was making some kind of point, I don't know, borrowed the language of the social justice left when she said that silence is complicity. So to clarify our present-day linguistic markers, silence is complicity, that means you are a Fox News conservative. Silence is violence, you are the social justice left. Silence is golden, you are an eighth-grade class trip chaperone. Silence is a sound, you are either Simon or Garfunkel. And Peshaw's charge (laughs) that everyone... (laughs) who supports this bill is either a pedophile or friendly to pedophiles. That is another data point in what seems to be a trend of conservatives calling their opponents soft on pedophilia. Josh Hawley recently made the completely unfounded case, and I talked about this two weeks ago in my Katanji Brown-Jackson piece. He made the, again, unfounded case that Katanji Brown-Jackson gives light sentences to pedophiles. In the Fox and Friends clip, that I played at the beginning of this episode, Kilmeade asks, who's got the other side of that issue, with the obvious intimation that only child molesters would be on the other side. And I guess this seems to be basically the state of our political debate. Both sides sling the most serious charge they can possibly think of at their opponents and figure that some of it will probably stick. And I would normally write a hyperbole joke here, such as, what's next? People accusing politicians of running a cannibalistic child sex ring, but that actually already literally happened, so I do not know where we go from here. Just two weeks ago, in that aforementioned Katanji Brown-Jackson piece, I wrote about how liberal principles exist for a good reason. They are the guidelines that allow a healthy society to flourish. When they erode, that's bad. And people on the left are playing a dangerous game when they chip away at those principles. Well, here we are, less than a month later, and the right is making an aggressive play to restrict free speech, and they're using social media to bully their opponents into silence. And honestly, that seems about right. In my experience, the distance between betraying your principles and regretting having betrayed your principles, it's usually short enough that you can walk it. The good news is that, in the long run, I don't think these tactics really work. They do not build the broad consensus that lasting change requires. And let me point out that long run and lasting are doing some work in the sentences I just spoke. You can scare people into silence by calling them a racist or a pedophile, but that is forcing their acquiescence, not earning their support. Ron DeSantis may well achieve his personal goal of earning culture war hero status, but in the long run, in the country as a whole, his broader goal of chilling speech in elementary school classrooms is probably, thankfully, not going to get very far. And that's the episode. I believe this is the first time I have mentioned Ron DeSantis on the podcast. I expect to hear a lot more from him in the future. It's a weird dynamic right now. I feel like he is very obviously the Republican frontrunner. Because I'm of the opinion that Trump is not the frontrunner. I think DeSantis is. And there's lots of time for things to change. There's still basically a year before the primary starts and various 
right-wing kooks start filing out of the Republican primary clown car. But clearly DeSantis is going for it, and this law is going to be one plank in his platform. That's all for this episode. Once again, all my stuff is at imightberwrong.substack.com. I just posted an article that includes pictures of Marine Le Pen's cats. So by all means, go look at pictures of Marine Le Pen's cats. They are very good cats, and they did not choose to be owned by Marine Le Pen. And of course, I will be back next week with another episode. So until then, thank you very much for listening, and bye for now. <laughs>